We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The running backs whose draft capital and landing spots we are most interested in for this week's NFL draft. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me, find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. And Sean, on our last show, we went through some wide receivers that we're really interested in. If they land in some good spots with some good draft capital, they could really be intriguing relative to sort of maybe you'd say the lack of hype around them up to this point because of expected draft capital. And today we're going to talk about running backs and and certainly with running backs, you have the landing spot that is incredibly important as well. You know, we always sort of think of receiver as the more talent driven position running back. We do care about player talents, certainly, but certainly a little bit more situation based as well. But there are some really intriguing running backs that we're looking at right now being potentially day three guys, maybe they'll get the day two opportunities. There's probably not going to be any round one running backs. There's this possibility Brees Hall goes there or or one of the other top names, but we're talking about guys that we would love to see go on day two and for day two on Friday night, you and I will be live on the Rotoviz YouTube channel, breaking down everything, immediate reactions to all the running back landing spots, wide receivers, obviously tight ends, quarterbacks that might make it through the first day. We'll also be live day one doing a joint show with the ship chasing guys. You can find both of those shows at the Rotoviz YouTube channel and be sure to subscribe. We're hoping to hit a thousand subscribers at the Rotoviz YouTube channel by the end of the weekend. That will be a ton of fun. And I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, the ship chasing crew, you know, Pat and Pete, every time that I go on with you three. It's, it feels like a party as opposed to, I don't know, this doesn't feel like work either. So it's it's not (laughs) like there's a contrast, but it's just, it's so much fun in the draft. You know, I used to do these, I mean, this is like, you know, not when I'm, you know, 20 or 25, this is as an adult, do these draft contests with family members and, and best friends from college where we would predict the draft and then get points for like where the people are going and just having so much fun. And they're not even like, you know, you, you don't win anything other than glory. I mean, you can't buy glory, but that's what we like to talk about with fantasy. So anyway, to be able to do this with you guys on Thursday, and I even got sort of wound up on OT the other day, which I don't 
normally do. I mean, have fun with it, but found myself getting very, you were trying to get me to make some, I don't know, like crazy takes or, or what have you after the Tyreek Hill trade. And I'm like, I'm fine. That's good. The Chiefs are going to be awesome. But on OT the other day, I was like, the Chiefs are going to do something like picky Clyde Edwards, Alaire over Jonathan Taylor. I'm already very wound up about it. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens on the draft show on Thursday. Can't wait for that. Gotta tune in for that reaction because the Chiefs have what a couple of first round picks, and and Sean's reaction to those will be very tempered, I'm sure. So we'll we'll, we'll see how that turns out. It, it's going to be a lot of fun, as you mentioned. But kind of to set up for that, we're looking today at some running backs that we want to see now. We actually don't expect any of these running backs to go on Thursday night when we're with ship chasing, but perhaps Friday and certainly on Saturday. And, you know, you get into round six and round seven, you're like, why are my three favorite players still on the board? Why, you know, it's, it's round six. Like, do these teams not know that someone who was a dominant college running back and just ran a four, four, five? Why is that guy still on the board? And I mentioned that, Ben, because it's interesting. You look at some of the different aggregation sites, as you've mentioned, and on a lot of them, the running backs projected to go four, five, six, and seven, I have as almost non-prospects. Now, I say that within the context of, I'm not even going to mention those names. I'm rooting for those players. If you, for whatever reason, don't put up big numbers in college and you go to the NFL and you start tearing it up, that's awesome. I mean, I'm not rooting against those players. I don't ever want it to be a situation where, you know, someone doesn't succeed with their profession. I'm like, oh, I was right. That's that's not the way I look at it. But there are some guys who are going to be drafted later, potentially, who I think really deserve to get a chance because they were so good. And so I, I find myself kind of looking out for those guys a little bit. Then we had mentioned a couple of players before the show, and, and really then it, it gets to be, you know, four, five, or six. But there are a couple of really fairly high-profile names that I think could go early. And then we'll mention a few players who are more day three guys, but could go early who were productive and athletic. And the first one, and I know the one that appeals to you, I think Pat loves him. I know that uh, Travis May is going to be living and dying based on where he goes, and that's Rashad White. Yeah, Rashad White is – he's sort of been comped and probably somewhat fairly to, you know, Benjamin. In, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of pattern matching because they both come out of Arizona State, but he has that same sort of can-do-everything profile, was a 1,000-yard rusher with 15 rushing TDs his final season, also caught 43 balls, 456 yards. That's the type of receiving profile that, to your point, when I'm looking at my high-value touches and stuff, I'm going, okay, this guy has size and he catches passes. Those are the, the two boxes that I care a lot about. Tested pretty well, right? And so we have this guy, and, and I'm going to be leaning on you throughout this because I have not done a, a nearly enough research onto the running backs. I do love looking into the receivers, but generally I'm leaning on you with prospect stuff anyway, Sean. But when it comes to the backs, certainly – I'll, I'll just come right out and say that my my depth of knowledge is pretty limited here. But White is a guy who what, he was a junior college guy, right? And then we got two years. You wrote about him over at Rotoviz. I, I did check out your piece. It was fantastic. So we have a little bit of an advanced age. We have size. We have some speed with that size. We have the pass catching ability. That type of profile is super appealing. When you're talking about high value touches, you're talking about this three down upside, the ability to do everything and be, you know, that just unlocks a fantasy ceiling that a lot of other running backs can't even get to, even if they are fantastic, you know, early down runners, or if you want to go the flip side, the, the really good pass catchers that don't have the ability to be an early down runner. I mean, this guy has 
the adequate size to do both. But part of the reason he's getting comped to Eno Benjamin is this idea that he may not even be drafted. And Eno Benjamin was, you know, talked about as potentially a day two guy, similar profile, wound up in the seventh round of Arizona. We haven't really gotten an opportunity to see him play a bunch. When we did a little bit last year, he looked good. I mean, I feel like we were on the right track with him and we're still kind of interested in Eno Benjamin this year. But White is a really interesting name that in mocks, he's kind of been all over the place. We're seeing like an average expected draft position probably in the fourth round. I think it's a pretty, it will be pretty telling and it's a pretty big question whether or not he could fall into the third and be a day two pick. That's something I'll be really interested in seeing on Friday night is if some team is willing to take him a little bit higher, higher than some of those other prospects that have been mocked ahead of white a lot that you mentioned were maybe sort of non-prospects quote unquote what what is it about white I mean, draft i mean he's the perfect guy for this discussion because draft position is going to be incredibly telling because of the advanced age if we can get him into a reasonable draft position and a reasonable landing spot where he could potentially get early work everything we just said about his profile is very positive if he lands somewhere where he's going to have to do what, you know, Benjamin has done these last couple of years and sort of try to just earn his spot on the roster and earn some playing time, he might not see the field till he's 25 or 26 years old. Yeah, this one is crazy, right? Because I think most fantasy managers at this point have white kind of in the mix to be the number three back with Isaiah Spiller with Spiller having kind of the opposite uh, draft summer where he hasn't impressed and yet you do hear these horror stories where nfl decision makers have him outside of the top 20 running backs and you look at that and you're like <laughs> i mean the top 20 like do you also hear these things about how the nfl teams are maybe not that prepared for the draft i or that the things that they prepared are more limited than we might believe in terms of having you know certain guys that they're targeting and that's about it i that i would find very surprising you have such a massive investment in money and it's so important to be good at the draft that it, if, if these guys don't have just the level of detail on players and the preparation on players that would blow your mind that seems like it would be malpractice to me but you, you look at this and you're like how could he be in that range and you mentioned you know benjamin both of these guys from arizona state it's funny you mentioned you know and i look him up you know every couple of days to find out what the scuttlebutt is there can i draft him in the last round of my best ball leagues or am i just purely throwing that pick away i mean i'm almost even willing to throw the pick away on you know but sometimes there's someone else that you should pick instead every time you look him up the arizona writers are referencing the angry tv run right so i mean he was good last year when he got a chance to play you know benjamin and clyde edwards alaire are the exact same player one of them was drafted in the first round and the other one fell to the end of the draft you know you, any of these guys who have that type of profile you're looking for an NFL team to fall in love with you but white is different, right? I mean, he's not one of these smaller backs who maybe profiles as a pass catching back. You know, you, he's not a guy who blew the testing portion of it. He's not someone who was just a runner or just a receiver. And so it's very difficult to try and understand why people would be against him. We got four backs in this class who had a hundred scrimmage yards per game and also represented at least 10% of their team's market share of receiving yards. He was actually above 20 percent and then you mentioned the size the athleticism you know 215 448 38 inch vertical he's a guy who has an 81 in the running back prospect lab now that doesn't answer all of your questions right there are some guys in this class who are going to be drafted ahead of him who score like a 16 
And so, you know, there are going to be some context, but there's also something where you're like, okay, there are going to be some guys who are overdrafted and we hope the white doesn't slide a ton because of that. The thing here, and you and I kind of talked before the show and you especially were saying, look, I don't think the PAC 12 is actually that talented. So it is a little bit apples and oranges compared to say, when we're looking at players from the sec, this Arizona state offense has created a lot of value for the running backs and so perhaps some nfl decision makers are selling some of the production but even when you do that there aren't a lot of guys available in each draft who even have just the physical attributes that this player has now you mentioned the the junior college element he's older at running back we are looking for very young players at this as the same as we are at wide receivers the same discussion you want these guys who are coming out you know barely 21 years old and have all of the elements that go with that. But that doesn't mean that you ignore players who maybe had to go a little bit different route. And then when they did, they looked like stars. Again, running back at the NFL level is an athletic position. And we don't have too many guys who have this kind of athleticism and can also point to a season in college where they're like, look, this guy was good. Yeah, I I got asked a while back, about who sort of the Antonio Gibson of this class might be, somebody who could be this big riser later in the draft season. And I hadn't done, again, a ton of research, but White was a name that I kept hearing that I felt like fit that very well. And you talked about just the athleticism element. Like Gibson was a guy who, obviously, I think most people know the story with him, that he mostly played a wide receiver in in college and didn't really play running back. And so it was you know, what's going to happen with him going into the draft. Obviously he had size, he had speed, he had more speed at more size than Rashad white does, but white's the guy that kind of came to my mind as this player that might be viewed similarly as Gibson leading up to the draft where people start saying, okay, well, this guy's got the size and the speed and he's Gibson with a track record of actual production and playing the position running and receiving again, not the same athlete as Gibson, not quite, the same size and not quite the same speed, even at that size, but still a very good size speed profile, not bad for white. Right. And so it's been hard to sort of fathom when you, when you talk about the other running backs that are maybe less heralded in terms of what they actually did in college. Some of them have, you know, positive notes on their profile, certainly. And, and running backs a position where, you know, maybe it's more about scheme fit. Maybe it's about different elements that, that didn't really work for them in college, but we think their athleticism or this or that can, can translate, but white would seem to check all of those boxes too. So it's just, it's, it's hard to imagine, but if he does fall, I mean, if he does make it into day two, I mean, we're talking about a guy that we would view similarly to a, a Gibson probably, right. Or, you know, in rookie drafts a Gibson, I think started to rise maybe even into the back of the first round, but Rashad white, if he fall, if he, does come off the board in day two into a pretty good landing spot where it looks like he's going to potentially have some early opportunity could be a a second round rookie pick pretty easily. And he sort of already is pre-draft, but maybe shouldn't be right now with these concerns about falling out of the draft. But where would you take him if he were say a mid third round pick in in this week's draft? Oh, if if he goes in the third, it's going to be so landing spot dependent, obviously, but that I think, erases a lot of the concerns and we just have concerns here that the nfl doesn't think that he's basically worth drafting at all but if he goes late on day three then i think you can confidently take him in that mid second to late second range really for 
so many of the running backs in this class we're talking about round three you're going to take the guys who drop if he goes on day two then his profile is so good that it starts to become a matter of who are the other people who were hit and there are going to be two or three guys who are in that 110 to 208 range right now who are going to fall into round three and i think that if white goes on day two it's going to move him into that range then we've been enthusiastic about the quarterbacks but if we get this sort of armageddon scenario where they do all fall and they fall into situations on top of that to where it looks like they're going to be backups in year one then even in super flex those guys could drop down and if we don't have the quarterbacks to push down the depth at the other positions rashad white could go at the tail end of round one and at that point presumably as sort of the rb3 or he would be right there with isaiah spiller let's maybe transition to isaiah spiller and touch on him real quick because he's one that didn't test real well we've talked about him a decent amount but the expectation is still that he'll be a day two guy he's maybe maybe fits in with this discussion in the sense that if he really fell that would be sort of a problem how far would he have to fall to where, let's say, you know, White's in the third round. W- would you consider White to be the RB3 at a certain point? I think so. And one of the things that I talked about in my article for Spiller is that I, I really like him because he had that freshman campaign where he immediately arrived as a true starter in the SEC. But he didn't build on that in a way that made him a clear, say, future NFL first round draft pick or, you know, one, two kind of pick or second round pick in a class that was loaded. One of the things that we see is that these running back classes where there are a lot of guys, the teams who are looking at running back are like, okay, we'll take the bottom of that tier. One of the reasons that I think that Hall and Walker could go earlier than people are thinking in this draft is simply that once those two guys are gone, it's going to be a very different type of landscape for anybody else. So if you want a starter, you're going to have to go early as opposed to the end of round two now maybe walker makes it to the end of the round two but we're kind of looking at that dynamic spiller is someone who comes in with a 56 in the running back prospect lab but if you actually change his 40 to where it's good right and people weren't talking about that element of it he'd still just be a 65 so that'll play that'll work I and mean, that's going to be better than most of the rest of the guys in this class but it's not something where you're like oh i mean that guy we have to have on our dynasty team and so he could he could fall even without some of those types of elements. So looking at him, you know, some very good things, some very bad things. But if he falls behind White, then I mean, White definitely would be there. If they're in the same range, again, I think that you could go with White because of that athletic and receiving upside. You said if we change his forty, I'm, I'm, I might have missed something here. Did he have like a another? Did he have like a solid pro day? No, I'm, I'm just one of the things you can do in the running back prospect lab is kind of cool. Is you can say, well. I don't actually believe that's relevant or that's accurate about this back. Let's say you like Damian Pierce and you think, well, they should have just given him more rushing attempts. What would his profile be? And you change it. So one of the things I was doing there to try and illustrate the idea that Spiller is a good, not great prospect is change some of the things that people don't like about him and say, well, what if this were the case? It's not for Spiller, right? One of the things he said about his pro day that was kind of fun. I liked it about him. He just came right out and said, well, I didn't change anybody's mind with that. But then yeah. pointed out that like I'm a good player, you know I didn't change people's minds with my times here, but it, and it's 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 cool to see someone just be like yeah I, you know th- those aren't going to be the times that have people have me rocketing up the draft board, but it illustrates this element that Spiller even with that he still doesn't have this just 
crazy production that would have made him a clear-cut pick. And so I like him, but I don't think you have to reach for him. My direction on him, the, the sort of fantasy takeaway, was that he's someone where hit him when he drops, but you don't need to try and get this you know, 75 80% exposure to him. Whereas White, if he goes in a great spot, I think you're trying to get your exposure up. And then Ben, I also wanted to ask you about, there's another guy who has these same problems that we don't necessarily like, where he's old and the NFL is going to discount his competition. But what are you thinking about Pierre Strong? Well, Strong is one of the few backs that I've actually watched a little bit. Uh, got my Bill Grinder uh, hat on and, and watched a little bit. I thought he was interesting. I think I shared some of those thoughts, but I I, I would say that um, I wasn't like necessarily blown away. He has good speed, but he seems like a, a very like straight line runner. And I didn't, I don't know. Anyway, I'm looking at your notes and you have that he was nine for nine with six TDs on halfback passes. And so now I'm very intrigued, but really you're the guy who should talk about Pierre Strong. He's from what South Dakota state, right? The Jackrabbits. Is that right? And, and was very productive at a, at a lower level, right? Yeah. And I like that because we, one of the teams that I coached in tennis played and defeated South Dakota state uh, a while back. So have a little bit of overlap there. No, I just, just kidding on that, but the halfback passes, right? Ben, this is someone who in your flag football leagues, you're going to definitely want because he has the flexibility to run a wide variety of plays for you. Yeah, I mean, I love that. And he tested very well, right? He's got size. He's got speed. Do we have, we don't have much of a, a receiving profile, but at the lower levels, we don't necessarily see that. A lot of these teams are just going to turn around and hand the ball to their best player. And he put up very strong rushing production numbers, correct? Yeah, he was a juggernaut over 1,650 rushing yards as a senior. You mentioned that athleticism. He's one of those guys who went sub 4-4. And so once you're talking about sub 4-4 at the running back position, there's some run to daylight there where if they can find the hole, they can get to it. You know, maybe you get yourself some 30, 40, 50-yard runs. He's just 207, which you know, is kind of this in-between size. Some teams are probably going to put him as a little bit more of a space back. One of the things I thought was cool about him is he does this 36 in the vert at the combine as opposed to being like, yeah, I mean, that's going to get me where I want to be. He went out at his pro day and did 38. So yeah, I'm more athletic than that, you know, no question. And so he gets these physical comps of Joseph Adai, Miles Sanders, Elijah Mitchell, and, you know, Mitchell, the name that kind of jumps out at people most recently, because he was the person who sort of came out of nowhere and then wins a ton of fantasy leagues for everybody last year as the starting running back for the San Francisco 49ers. I'm partial to these, players who come from the small schools. One of the things I did to sort of calibrate my expectations before I started the all the metrics series for Rotoviz was to look at guys from 2005, 2021, who were over 2,500 receiving yards, the smaller backs. And he's actually a little bit bigger size wise than the group I was looking at there. But those guys come into the NFL as big time runners. And there were three small school backs now, small school, different types of levels, but Brian Westbrook, Danny Wedhood, and Austin Eckler, who is still a first-round fantasy running back right now, all of those guys, not surprisingly, some serious athleticism in certain ways, but also just insane production in college, even better than what Strong has, to where you look them up and they're like, you know, no one was touching them on any play in college is the impression you get from reading their blurbs. They were these great players at the lower level, 
if you have the production, if you go out there and actually dominate it the way you would expect, then that does check the box for you because you have to have that. That's one of the things that, again, we're not actually rooting against him, but Christian Watson, someone who actually didn't destroy the lower level of competition the way, say, a Cooper Cup did, right? And so that's something that even with how well he tested is a little bit of a red flag for his receiving profile. But here at the running back position, Pierre Strong was very good, including two other 1,000-yard seasons, the first as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, he's definitely an interesting one. He comes in with an expected draft position very similar to Rashad White, basically looking like he could be a fourth-round pick, but then we're sitting there saying, well, maybe he goes in the third. So let's think about him in relation to White. This is an athletic back from a smaller school, doesn't necessarily have the receiving profile, maybe not as easy to project a future three-down fantasy type of workload for what would your optimism be for him in relation to somebody like White should Strong go in the third round, like sort of similar to the conversation we just had about White? What Where would that put you on Strong? Especially if he goes to a team where you can dream a little bit about him. And that was, you know, on the on the few teams that I did take Elijah Mitchell in round four. And, and Elijah Mitchell, I mean, talk about round four rookies. You want those guys who have that type of speed and that type of ability to vault up the depth charts, right? Pierre Strong, I think you can really dream. I've I've made the point multiple times that I think that he's my RB3. And part of that is just that the NFL doesn't believe in Rashad White because I think you would have to slide him in there. But when you're looking at these, this class, after Hall and Walker, I think White, Spiller, and Strong are all in that same mix. And the upside would seem to be better for White and maybe even the most upside there for Strong. Now, he's a little bit lighter, and that does come into play in terms of the way NFL teams use their running backs. But if he can get into that role where he has enough early down work and then shows a little bit, one of the things scouting-wise on him that people are concerned about is just that receiving element. So if you're saying he's 207 but doesn't catch passes, then that immediately kind of puts him out of a fantasy role. You talk all the time about the high-value touches, and it's easy to look at Strong and say, he could be a good player and a useful NFL piece, but not be a high value touch machine in which case for fantasy it's not as valuable and might not be as valuable as the tylers tyler goodson tyler Beatty might not be as valuable as a kyron williams all players that we also like because of what they bring to the table and they could have a very low sort of trap score right they're going to when they are touching the ball it's going to be valuable but still at the same time i think that strong has that upside that if we see on you know day two in round three that if a team believes in him then you're starting to get these Elijah Mitchell vibes. But again, even if he doesn't get that, I think because of his athleticism that he's going to be a little bit more resilient to draft position where some of these players who are more straight pass catching backs, maybe we're looking at them and at least for year one production, you're looking at late best ball selections. Maybe those picks do matter a little bit more. So before we switch, what I'm hearing a little bit with strong is, especially at that size, it's making me think of like Aaron Jones, but maybe without what we've come to know as Aaron Jones is receiving or, or being sure that Tron could do that, but sort of the Aaron Jones rushing mold, right? He came from UTEP, explosive play guy, a little bit smaller size. That's sort of what you're you're seeing that, that Strong could maybe be. Man, now I'm going to have to draft him even earlier after you see <laughs> that. That's the, I mean, that's the perfect parallel there. And, and even this kind of thing of, if he goes late in the draft, I mean, maybe that helps you because you can get to almost 100% on your rosters. 
it helped with Aaron Jones in the sort of roundabout way that Jamal Williams went first in that draft. And so everybody who had Williams first already can say, see, look, the team agrees with us. And, you know, the fact of the matter is still, you need to have that explosiveness to be a plus back at the NFL level. Pierre Strong has that. Hey, Rotoviz fans. This is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal Rotoviz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RVRADIO2022 at checkout for 10% off a one year Rotoviz subscription. Enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The other backs you mentioned are... The Tylers, as you called them, Tyler Beatty, Tyler Goodson. Beatty is one you've mentioned to me that I'm really intrigued by, and and I took in one of my early rookie drafts. Goodson hasn't even gone, or he, I think he went in the very last pick, 412 in one of my rookie drafts and didn't go in the other. I also kind of want to talk about Kyron Williams and what we might be thinking about him now because he was one before the combine that was looking like somebody that was worth targeting with a, a strong receiving profile smaller back not much size but then he tested very very poorly there's still some backs that have been usable receiving backs that haven't tested particularly well again i'm doing the college pattern matching thing but theo riddick came out of notre dame as well and was not a very high tester 
but had the receiving ability to be somewhat relevant for PPR for a while. Is there any hope for Kyron Williams before we jump into the, t- the Tylers? I think there is. And one of the things here is that he did go out and run a 4-5-4-40 at his pro day. He ran a 6-9, three-cone, you know, sub-7. He wanted to demonstrate to people, look, I've got the lateral agility to be that space back. One of the things that we do see is these agility numbers can help us find receptions. And, and with Williams, I mean, it's not like you have to find them. He had plenty of those at Notre Dame as a college player. He has multiple seasons of strong performance. He's a young back He's again someone where because of the overall production, I think it's easier to buy the receiving production because those guys at the NFL level, you know, they catch the ball, but then they have to run with it, right? These these players who are just receivers in college, that's actually not a path that's that usual to getting to significant NFL production. And the guy who kept coming up, especially if you use his pro day numbers in multiple tools for us was James White. Now, we know that James White benefited from being in the situation with Tom Brady, where if you have the trust there, that offense is set up in a way that you're going to be peppered with targets. Perhaps you know, if different players were in that situation, then we'd be talking about them as being the person that you want to be. But I like Williams for that there. We, you know, we saw last year how uh, you know Gio was not able to just instantly take over that similar type of James White role i think you may have to wait a little bit and if you're taking williams at the end of round two at the beginning of round three then maybe you're hoping for a little bit more of an instant impact but i think that the pro day results are more representative of who he is as a player and they're just there aren't that many guys in this draft who were very good collegiate running backs and kyron williams was and and we go way back to your research years ago on i remember you did different profile running backs profile one profile two profile three and some of that was driven by weight profile one was sort of the bigger backs that are going to be early down grinders profile three was some of the lighter backs that are mostly your pass catching types profile two is sort of where you want to be looking where you could get both things uh in one a little bit of size with the ability to catch some passes and and have this you know three down breakout elite ceiling type of of profile Williams is sort of that profile three back. And I remember from your work way back then that you looked at those agility numbers a lot. So you're you're encouraged by his three cone on his pro day. It sounds to me like he's a guy that we wouldn't be as concerned about draft capital with as much as landing spot. If he can land into a spot, like you said, James White had this great spot with Tom Brady. If he can land into a spot where he could be easily thought of as the pass catching back in that offense, even if he is a fourth round pick, because the NFL doesn't always usually target this type of back particularly high. It might be that, hey, we're drafting that guy and we want to use him on passing downs. He might be fantasy relevant sooner than later if it's at least like a fourth round pick or especially if he were, were to go in the third round. Exactly. If you get him in a situation with a veteran quarterback who maybe is not a scrambler and so those dump offs to the running back are an extension of what they do to pick up the third downs, whereas, you know, the scramblers or a Josh Allen, they're going to run for it themselves. A Tom Brady, a Matt Ryan, a Philip Rivers, that style of quarterback, you can get these absurd numbers. And then there are plenty of guys who kind of fit in between. It's not going to be necessarily an either or, but there are situations out there where a pass catching back could come in and, and make it work. Now, James White had to wait a little bit. Kyron Williams may have to wait a little bit, but you mentioned the agility. I do think that he was hurt by the fact that the running back position, uh, and, and maybe it was just because they didn't have time to do it, which is kind of odd, 
but didn't do the agility numbers. If he comes out and puts up better agility numbers at the combine than a lot of the other guys who tested well in other areas and then jumped immediately ahead of him, if he's able to beat them in that, then perhaps it balances out a little bit. You know, once the the buzz starts to go in one direction, then you get a lot of these cascade effects and people aren't willing to consider him again. We don't really know for sure where the NFL is on that, but I would guess that there are some teams who fell in love with the production, like what they saw at the pro day, you know, like the fact that he went back out there and, and battled and was able to do better. And, and he's a good player. So he's not going to be a difference maker for a franchise, but I don't think that we have difference makers in this draft outside of those top two. When you're looking at a fantasy, and again, you know, best ball at the end, you're trying to build those zero RB teams. You know, Pete mentioned it when he was on OT recently. That profile didn't score a ton of points in 2021, but it's going to be a big part of fantasy teams in the future. And so we want to have names like that on our list. And that kind of transitions us into the Tyler's as we've been putting up a couple of guys who were very productive and do look like they could be electric NFL pass catching backs. Yeah. So what's the deal on them? We have Beatty, who is uh, out of Missouri, a little bit of a smaller back, right? But has some of these similar characteristics. And then Goodson out of Iowa. And they're two guys that are, they, they sort of fit this mold for you of a player that was productive in college and, I mean, I, I don't know why, but I guess I'm thinking thinking back to Miles Gaskin, probably because of my UW ties. But I remember you kind of liked Miles Gaskin a little bit, and he goes in the seventh round, and, and you know hasn't been amazing or anything, but he's been much better than his seventh round draft capital as this four year college starter who was a productive player in college, and has been able to handle a lot of work. That backfield dominator rating uh, metric that you mentioned, both of these guys look solid in that in that type of mold right they do and this is one of the things that you know matt friedman back at the beginning of rotoviz talked about a lot more recently blair Andrews has done a lot of fantastic work with it he has the backfield dominator rating article out for you each year white who we talked about earlier is one of the stars of it but you have Beatty at 81 percent. you have goodson at 82 percent. those are excellent backfield dominator ratings and it's because they are productive right with Beatty, you have over 1900 scrimmage yards last year you have 54 receptions that's why people are dreaming about him. When you do that in the SEC, people are going to notice. And then he runs a 4-4-5-40, right? So you've got athletic comps like Gio Bernard, Michael Carton, Steve Slayton. You know, Michael Carter went out last year, and despite having to play for the Jets when he was healthy and playing, he looked very, very good, right? So both of these guys are in that group where they have over 100 scrimmage yards per game. They have more than the 10% receiving. And Goodson, you mentioned that he was drafted at the very end of your rookie draft. Sam Wallace and I traded back in on a team that we co-managed together to take him at 409 in one of ours. There is no interest in him. And that is is weird to me. Now, you know, playing for Iowa doesn't give you the same cred that you get if you do these things in the SEC. But you're talking about a guy with a 4-4-240 and an 80th percentile explosion score, right? I mean, these are guys who are NFL caliber athletes. And a lot of it depends on how you like to draft. I talk a lot about make sure that when you're looking at prospects, it's the same thing as when you're looking at other elements of your teams and your team building draft the ways that you like and the ways that fit with what you're good at. And so if one of the things that you're good at is adding these pass catching backs to your teams and making that work for you, 
then these guys are going to be more interesting to you than they would be for somebody who is a, a team big running back or, or something to that effect. But then when I see guys who are in the four fours with some good peripheral numbers and were big time runners in college, I start to wonder, you know, why aren't people a little bit more interested in them again, because there are some backs in this draft who were not particularly successful in college who are going to go not just before these two guys, but way before them. And I always have a little bit of a struggle with that because we talk about a lot. It's not that you can't find exceptions I mean, there are going to be exceptions to, to all of the different guidelines, but you're really chasing a very narrow path to victory as a reality team, but then also as a fantasy team, whether you're talking about best ball originally, or talking about building these dynasties, you're chasing a very narrow path to victory when you're drafting guys who weren't good in college. And some of the guys going ahead of these players are not that athletic either, or at least they didn't test that way at the combine. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Goodson basically uh, there being zero interest in fantasy. Part of that might be, I, I, I'm actually assuming almost all of it is the expected draft position. I'm looking at um, grinding the mocks right now as well, of, uh, as well as Arif Hassan's recent piece at the athletic where he uh, aggregated 70 draft lists. And that's been very uh, successful over the last couple of years. The list that he has built in predicting draft position for for Beatty and both, he's right around pick 150. So you're looking at maybe like a fifth round pick. For Goodson and both, he's well over 200. And he's behind pick 230 in both. So you're talking about a very late pick in the draft, if any at all. But running back is a position where, I mean, we just talked about Miles Gaskin as a seventh round pick. who got the opportunity. You know, you don't want to just cherry pick, but obviously Elijah Mitchell's another late round that recently, you know, recently got an opportunity. It is a position where you can even go undrafted potentially and still land on a team and work your way up a depth chart. Obviously, injuries and things can happen at running back, and you would need some things to break right. But it's not the same type of death knell, I guess, to go late in day three at running back is maybe it might be for receiver where you're probably just never going to get the opportunity. No, it's not, but it's you, not but you say that still. and the name that popped in but, a couple of spots, looking at the different tools for the all the metrics article on Goodson was Philip Lindsay. So exactly like you're saying, somebody who was undrafted and then, you know, very quickly his team's like, Oh, this, this guy is good. Or at least they thought that for a couple of years and they're like, no, we, we need to find some other people. And, you know, to be fair, it does look like in the long run that's going to work out for the Broncos and they're going to have a superstar here. But Philip Lindsay, somebody who is good or was good. Was good. Yeah. Beatty, Goodson, at those expected draft positions, I, I guess, yeah, at those positions. Let's say Beatty goes in the fifth. Let's say Goodson goes in the seventh or goes undrafted. How do you think that impacts their profile? And then if Beatty were to go, say, in the fourth or maybe even somehow sneak into the third, you know, we're kind of talking – what, what would really excite us? What would that do for you with a guy like Taylor Beatty? Let's just assume some team is a lot more excited about him than what we're seeing. And Goodson, maybe it's probably wildly optimistic to, to suggest he could go on day two. But what if he goes in the fourth or the fifth round early on day three? How would that change the way that you're looking at those guys? Yeah, right now it's difficult for me to take them in rounds 19 and 20 of best ball leagues. And... That's with a whole bunch of guys who I don't think have NFL futures, you know, rookie running backs who are being drafted in 15 to 18. So that's after this group that already maybe we shouldn't have a lot of initial enthusiasm for. But if they do what you're saying, then I don't think 
that it's going to change the perception enough that I have to reach, but I'm going to be much more comfortable taking them there 17, 18. I think they're going to still be round three guys in dynasty rookie drafts, but it's going to be more of a thing of now we need to load up as opposed to now we need to kind of balance our exposures and get one here, one there, you know, one somewhere else. But, you know, we don't need to be very high on any of them. One of the things we talk about a lot is that if you have the right tactics in your rookie drafts, these third and fourth round picks that objectively, if you look at averages are not worth hardly anything, there are ways that you can use them that are very valuable. That would be kind of the scenario with these guys where if they go into that range, then I think your third round pick becomes if not more valuable, at least more fun because you can draft them with more enthusiasm when your rookie draft comes around. Yeah. And when you talk about that, we talked on previous shows about potentially finding tight ends or quarterbacks that are falling certain years with some of those additional picks where you can get some really great values. But running back is the other position that I know that you've talked about quite a bit. Not as often wide receiver. Typically the the interesting wide receivers are going to be going in the first or second rounds of, of rookie drafts. So Running backs like this can be interesting. We know that at running back, it's the same zero RB mindset. A guy can vault and gain a ton of value because of you know an injury ahead of him or something happens. Obviously, Elijah Mitchell continues to be the, the easy comp from last year where he was a sixth-round pick. He was drafted in the same draft as Trey Sermon, who was a third-round pick, right? And so you have him not even looking like the, the back that his team was prioritizing. That continued through most of the offseason. And then when week one hits, Raheem Mostert gets injured, and now all of a sudden Elijah Mitchell is their starting running back because he's been able to, to vault Trey Sermon and fits what they want to do better. And, and Mitchell had the talent, which is the other thing that you're always emphasizing. That's why we're talking about these specific names and not every running back. These are the guys that look like Elijah Mitchell, that if they get that opportunity, they can actually then succeed as well at the NFL level, which is very important. They check a lot of these boxes that you've looked at for a lot of years and you've been on a lot of guys that have managed to do these types of things in the past. You mentioned Lindsay. I know Lindsay's another guy that even as you went undrafted, you were still intrigued with way back then. And obviously that, that panned out for a guy that you could get for absolutely free in, in dynasty. Yeah. I mean, he had the speed and he had one of the best backfield dominator ratings ever. So you're, for the price of free, it's like, let's make sure we get some shares. And you know, you mentioned zero RB again, it running back in dynasty. People want to know, well, if you guys are not necessarily drafting a lot of them, and you're selling them early, which we talked a little bit about that on a previous show with a listener question, then how do you score any points? Well, the points come through having the depth and having the balance and taking the shots on the right types of profiles. We hope that these guys might be them. It's possible, obviously, that we miss. And so, you know, you're going to be looking in free agency as the year goes along. You want to come off of your early takes quickly if you're obviously wrong you don't want to keep that from allowing you to win your league just because you weren't on a guy originally so we'll talk about some of those players if they emerge at that point but then again i i can't wait for the nfl draft i can't wait for thursday night yeah we're gonna have a blast make sure you tune in live for our reactions we'll be talking through all the picks thursday night friday night first two days a lot of players gonna land in a lot of spots and we're gonna have a blast reacting and having our initial thoughts while also like i said you know i i'm gonna drink sean you're not a big drinker but i'm gonna be drunk probably and and hopefully that's entertaining for for some uh, it'll be entertaining for me i'll promise that 
Yeah, it's going to be such a good time. And then you'll be back on Friday in your more stoic, hardcore, let's uh, let's <laughs> yeah. win these fantasy leagues mode. So anyway, yeah. look forward to ever seeing everybody Thursday night again, possibly. Well, again on Friday and then possibly on Saturday morning. We'll see you guys there if we are in fact there. But everyone, good luck to you. Good luck to your favorite hometown team. Hopefully they take Jonathan Taylor and not Clyde Edwards-Alaire. As always, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. You can follow Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you subscribe to Ceiling Signals. Make sure you subscribe to Rotovis. You can get 10% off with the coupon code RVRADIO2022. Join us over there at Underdog. We're going to have our Underdog tools releasing around the draft as these new mega contests come out. You can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $100 with the coupon code RotoViz. Then we're going to give away a RotoViz rookie guide to some lucky listener who gives us a crazy review this week it needs to be crazy in a good way but but crazy and then as well we obviously have shows coming out at random times subscribe to the beat and you'll get them when they do come out we love you guys we'll talk to you soon